following is a series of audios recorded on the main quad of the University of Chicago on Thursday, October 19th, 2023. It features interviews with pro-Palestine and pro-Israel community members who were demonstrating at around 12 p.m. It also features an interview with Maroon reporter Emma Jansen, who attended and wrote reports on the rally. The rally was organized by a collection of UChicago Jewish organizations, including Law Students for Israel, the Jewish Business Student Association, and UChicago Maroons for Israel, who scheduled the rally from noon to 1 p.m. at the center of the Quad to express support for Israel following the October 7th attacks on the country by Hamas. This rally came as Students for Justice in Palestine continued its daily occupation of the Quad from 10 a.m. to 3 p.m., which began on Monday, October 16th. The audio is mostly unedited, with some segments having been omitted for brevity's sake. Interviews were conducted by reporters from the Chicago Maroons Podcasts Division, who strive to remain impartial and provide an unbiased record of the events of that day. Some listeners may find the recordings offensive. Can you start with an overview of what happened at the rally? Who was there? How did it start? How did you learn about it? I learned about the protest um, through having previously reported on SJP, Students for Justice in Palestine, UChicago. I had written about their program of sitting on the quad in protest every day. Um, I wrote about that on the first day that they started um, that protest, that daily protest. So I knew that they were planning just to kind of be out there every single day. And then at the same time, I knew from social media and then also just word of mouth that a kind of coalition of organizations affiliated with Jewish students um, was going to be holding a, a protest or a demonstration on the quad as well. So I, I knew that there were going to be there was going to be this kind of meeting of two different groups in the same place on that day. And to be clear, were either of the groups registered to be there? Um, I think that you should fact check this if you can, but as far as I know, um, the coalition of Jewish student groups was registered to be there through the formal university process. They had a specific time limit for when they could be on the quad. Um, Also, as far as I know, SJP has not had their daily protest registered with the university. Uh, what's your name? Uh, my name is Matthew Weaseltier. And uh, why have you come out today? Uh, I think it's really, it's just important to show solidarity with Jews and with Israelis because I think a lot of us feel right now that it's like what happened in Israel wasn't just an attack on a bus or a concert or anything like that. It was an attack on the state with the goal of trying to get the state not to exist because Hamas is a genocidal terrorist organization. Like, they they have that in their charter. And as soon as it happened, there were a lot of people who, even if they didn't necessarily, like a lot of SJP-aligned folks who, even if, you know... They, they'll tell you, like, they don't support Hamas. Like, immediately after what happened in Israel, there were all these, like, anti-Israel protests, essentially. Because, like, like I, I, I just, like, call it what it is. That's, like, when you say, like, from the river to the sea, Palestine will be free, that implies that you want to, like, ethnically cleanse the millions of Jews that live in that land. And then, like, so I think for a lot of us, for a lot of the Jewish community here, it's just... We all feel really persecuted and very attacked right now. And, but I think a lot of us feel that this is like, it's almost our moment to stand up for the Jewish people in the way that like generations and generations and generations 
of our ancestors have stood up for the Jewish people because if they wouldn't have stood up for the Jewish people, we wouldn't still be here. In a sense, that's that's like what it is to be a Jew is like you have to you have to stand up for the Jewish people. You have to stand up for the state because otherwise, like we wouldn't have it because there are people who for like anti-Semitic, racist, radical ideological reasons want to destroy us. And, and again, like I'm not I'm not saying that we are here to sort of fight our own destruction because like none of what SJP is doing right now will like have an impact. No, like they're trying to what, like raise political awareness or whatever. So like, I don't really know what they're trying to accomplish by doing whatever they're doing. But like, I think for us, like all we see from that is them just saying like, we want to like remove Israel. We just feel so both both like hurt by a lot of the rhetoric and I think a lot of us feel kind of failed by like specifically American progressivism. But then also I think a lot of us like it just show it's just so important to show solidarity after the actual attacks because what happened was like like I, I won't repeat a lot of it because I can't bring myself to repeat a lot of it, but what happened is so deeply tragic and so many people lost their lives and like as Jews like we we resonate with that because Israel it's our home so when it's attacked like that we have to come together because that's also an attack on us there there's just this constant tribalism where people like don't actually realize that like Israelis and Palestinians have the same interests which is just to live in peace and to stop killing each other and all that we've been saying so far has been like we've been singing Jewish songs of peace and love and like the SGP protesters have been saying like from the river to the sea Palestine will be free and like that that would involve ethnic cleansing it just would and like you can't just say these things because they're catchy slogans because they fit a political agenda without thinking of the implications because the implications like if you actually think through a lot of their statements the implications of them are horrible to jews like utterly unspeakable for some reason it's on us to explain like as jews why we feel threatened any other minority you feel threatened you get you get accepted for that and and you say like nobody doubts you when you say like oh like i feel threatened as an already based on a given thing or like but for some reason jews were forced to explain time and time and time again why we feel attacked and why we feel persecuted where that should not be our responsibility just like every other persecuted group we should be afforded the right to to say we feel persecuted by this and be listened to and for some reason we're not and like you know if you can find an explanation for that that's not anti-semitism let me know because i still haven't found one <laughs> there was a student a couple days ago who had a mezuzah ripped off their door in the dorm oh my God. that is a hate crime that's what that is so like when people talk about like oh well anti-zionism isn't anti-semitism well then why when there's this huge outpouring of anti-zionism do jews start getting hate crimed all of a sudden it's like it's it's like it's it's impossible to sort of separate between these issues and to like isolate anti-zionism in a vacuum because like Zionism has been the dream of the Jewish people for 2,000 years. Like, it's not just a Zionist state, it is a Jewish state. That is the whole damn point. And I'm curious what your expectations were going into the rally. So, you know, obviously you knew that there was that there were going to be confrontations. Um, I'm just wondering how your expectations of how this would play out um, compared to what, what it was actually like being there. I wouldn't say that I had a ton of expectations. One thing that I found um, really helpful for me, not just as someone reporting on this, but as a person um, outside of the kind of like neutrality of being a reporter was I was really confronted with moments of dialogue and connection. I think there's a pretty dominant narrative um, when talking about this issue in general, but also to be more specific when talking about Israel-Palestine's manifestations in campus activism, there's a real tendency to frame everything as a conflict between two discrete sides where there's no crossover, there's no blurred edges or blurred lines. It's just 
two groups of students going against each other. And um, I, you know, that narrative comes from uh, like reality in some extent, to some extent. Um, but at the same time, I was very heartened to see moments where people from, I will use the language of sides just because it's an easy way to describe it, but um, people from the the side of the kind of pro-Israel protest um, talking just like very openly with people who were affiliated with SJP offering to, um, both sides kind of offering to have discussions at later points um, and there were moments of a lot of mutual respect and care for having a dialogue that I um, was heartened by. That's actually really interesting because I feel like the way it's portrayed in the media, it's just very, um, both sides are portrayed as very antagonistic towards each other. There doesn't seem to be a dialogue, as you said. So I guess... Like, can you speak more towards those moments? Is there something that you remember in particular, an interaction that you had or something you witnessed between each of the sides? Yeah, um, I I had a meaningful conversation with an activist with SJP um, on the day of the, the two protests. And um, this activist, I won't use their name, but they um, were... They are Jewish. They are studying um, as part of the divinity school in the program to kind of become a religious leader. And they were out there wearing a kippah and carrying a sign and being very open about their Jewishness and their um, future kind of within Jewish Jewish religious life and community, um, while also at the same time and kind of entangled with their Jewishness, they were talking a lot about how it compels them and what they learn compels them to um, join in on SJP's advocacy. So that was a moment where, you know, that kind of immediately messes with the narrative that people like to have about this conflict where there's this kind of imagined line that all Jewish students are going to be on the pro-Israel side of the protest, which in itself is a very kind of problematic and anti-Semitic view. And then simultaneously the view that the only people supporting the um, pro-Palestine side, if you will, would be Arab American students or Muslim students. And so there were a lot of moments where those that idea of those kinds of religious and ethnic lines were very much blurred um, at the protest, uh, there were moments where, um, you know, I, I saw, um, a, a Jewish student who was kind of, um, confronting a, an organizer with SJP. And I remember that organizer with SJP working to kind of diffuse that situation and offering to step off to the side to talk rather than kind of doing it in the very hectic and stressful environment of the quad, offering to kind of like get coffee and talk at a completely different time. Um, So those were some moments that really stood out to me as kind of breaking the, the narratives and the media narratives that are going around about this um, particular issue and activism on student campuses. Yeah, and uh, and like 
Bari guys here. Okay. Um, are, are you are you with uh, like do you organize for SJP? No, I don't organize for SJP. But I'm here because I'm a human being. That's what I think I've been taught uh, by my family, society, the education that I received. Um, by um, as a critical thinker, as a conscious human being or conscience human being, you can correct that. Um, but uh, yeah, no worries. Yeah, um, yeah, I'm here because I care. I care. Yeah, I care about justice and I care about equal rights for all human beings, whether in the U.S. or anywhere else in the world. And um, and like, how did you find out about uh, like this? Like, were you walking by? Um, yeah. Um, so. A lot of people involved in these are my friends. They come from all walks of life. They're black, they're brown, they're Asian, they're Muslim, they're Jews. Uh, I have a friend from my program, he's a Jew, uh, here uh, protesting. Um, so they're all diverse people. There's the most diverse demographic that you're seeing in front of you right now uh, in terms of race, in terms of socioeconomic class, in terms of like interests. So yes, as a person of color myself, uh, it is inevitable that you will be in solidarity and unity with all the things that your friends and uh, community care about. Have you been involved um, like political action in the past? And never. Never? Never before this time. Um, what made you want to get involved this time? I could not stand the hypocrisy. Uh, I could not stand the double standards. I could not stand the fact that we have land acknowledgement statements being like read out on college campuses all over the world, but you cannot acknowledge colonization, apartheid in this moment right now. I see hypocrisy for Ukraine to be able to resist, uh, have the right to resist their oppressor, their colonizer, but brown people who don't look like you don't have the right to resist to the same thing. Um, it, as I said, I think we're allowed, we are taught to think critically, analyze information, and nothing to me seemed that there was being, that there was a responsible reporting, information, discourse, and so I found, I, I was appalled, I was alarmed, I wanted to understand further, and the further I got, um, it pulled me in and made me care. It has everything to do with who I am, what my life is. If I can't care as a human being right now, I do, do not deserve to be call my, calling myself a human being, right? It's, it's, it's my own existential question at this moment. Um, who am I if I cannot respond to what is happening in Gaza, a genocide, an ethnic cleansing um, uh, that has been coming as a result of apartheid? So, yeah, it's making me question who I am. And um, you said before, like, double standard. Have you noticed anything specifically, like, at UChicago, like, teachers, other students? Um, I will say that I think um, it is also even very difficult to call this a crisis in Gaza right now. Um, I, the fact that a word like a crisis uh, seems to be um, uh, offending people shows something when the university, obviously, the, right now, what I hear from faculty letters, uh, student support, solidarity campaigns happening all over the U.S. right now, and it's very clear that public support, popular public support, is with the Palestinian cause for the liberation of Palestine. Um, and so in everywhere, you have faculty, students, staff, all writing solidarity statements, but universities are not issuing anything. Um, they're playing both sides on this. They're not, they're not condemning anything. Uh, granted that all universities have a significant financial stake um, at the moment, uh, and they're acting out of their corporate capacity, as what I understand. But that was not the case with Ukraine. Um, there were so there were widespread statements uh, made by highest officials in universities around this. Um, I think at the very least they should open up spaces to all sorts of voices, and I think even then, uh, people who are representing uh, voices of Palestinian academics, uh, people who qualified academics who have nothing to do with the Palestinian identity, who are reporting on these things as responsible academics, uh, even. Even in those situations, there's a certain sense of fear, uh, as if uh, these events are unwelcomed. Um, so I think whether that fear is paranoia, whether that's a misinformation, the university needs to, or universities or people in authority, need to make those sort of statements that while they are not taking a position, they open up discourse and they invite people 
from Palestine, from Israel, all sorts of tables um, and have an open dialogue. Um, so, so yes, I would say that not only just like being very careful about like not being able to call it a genocide when it has been called by all major international human rights organizations, human rights organizations on the ground, Israeli human rights organizations. So it's just sort of like, why are you instilling the sense of fear when this is this is a consensus there is no debate about this at this moment so so i think yes there you you, you whether this fear is rational or irrational it exists amongst people uh, amongst people in houses and dorms and communities um, they're afraid to uh, talk about this with their peers because they don't know where they stand you also know about doxing that's been happening all over the U.S. right now. Many here are afraid about, you can see their mask. Do you see anybody on the counter-protest masked? Go find how many counter-protesters are masked right now. Uh, but you see people here masked for a reason. So, yes, I think it's obvious. One last question. If you could give like a message to the counter-protesters yeah. right now, what would you say to them? I would say hold events, educational events, Invite speakers from people that you think are important. Invite the other, invite the entire campus community to it. Open up dialogue and don't, um, if your position is informed, let us know how it is informed, right? Uh, uh, engage this. So yes, I'm more than happy and welcome any sort of effort by uh, the counter protesters to get out of their particular community and engage uh, the rest of the community in an informed intellectual discourse that represents research and academic positions on the matter. Yeah. Perfect. Okay. Thank you. Thanks so much. Um, do you want to give me your name one more time? You can uh, choose not to. If you, you can just say someone, uh, someone with the MDiv school. The MDiv. Yeah, the MDiv. Okay. Yeah. Thanks so much for your time. You're welcome. With the MDiv program. You mentioned that um, both sides, there were moments where they appeared, there, there, there appeared to be diplomacy between them. And I think that's really interesting. I'm, I'm curious though, in those other moments, just, I imagine the atmosphere was very chaotic. Um, I walked past it. I mean, you could hear the, the chants reverberating. And I, I'm curious if that was like anything else that you'd encountered before, or if there was anything about the chants or the emotions that struck you. Yeah, I mean, as much as, like, we kind of want to not simply perpetuate the narrative that this is a conflict of one side against the other side, there definitely were moments where there was conflict between the two sides. And that manifested in a couple of different ways. Um, you mentioned chance. I think both sides wanted to kind of keep going and keep chanting. I, I spoke to a, a bystander um, who was just on their way to class and they kind of pointed out to me the, the, the sort of, I guess, hypocritical, not hypocritical. They pointed out to me that there can't, there fundamentally cannot be a dialogue when people are literally shouting over each other. And I think that for a lot of other bystanders and people who were um, watching these protests unfold, that was probably a lot of their impression. You hear um, chants coming from both sides, drowning each other out or trying to drown each other out. Um, and it does sound very chaotic, very intense, very loud. Um, I, I definitely understood why that specific student who was walking by didn't see it as anything constructive. They kind of just saw it as a lot of noise. Um, of course, that's not, you know, it's important to recognize that that protest was is not the only action being done by either of these groups. And there are moments where it's kind of not about making public noise, but that was one impression that I think a lot of people took away from that day. Um, there, I think there were some people on, um, I would say there, there were some moments where I heard kind of personal vitriol. Um, I'm thinking specifically about one moment where I heard someone on the kind of side of the quad that was dominated by the pro-Israel protests yelling over at a student, um, 
who they believed to be Jewish, who was holding a poster on the SJP-dominated kind of side of the, the protests and calling them a self-hating Jew and saying some other um, kind of actually pretty dark and almost violent things. So there definitely were moments of interpersonal uh, conflict. And I found that pretty unfortunate because largely outside of those moments, it was incredibly peaceful as you would expect um, or hope. So yeah, there were those moments. So what specific issue or cause brings you to this rally? Just want to stand in solidarity with those who are impacted by the terror of Hamas and everything that's going on in the Middle East. And I just wanted to um, express that um, it's important as a university we're on the right side of this fight. And that's why I'm here today. And why is this cause important to you personally? I mean, it's, it's very important. I know... I spent the last two years in the region, and I know a lot of people on the ground who have been impacted in a big way. I know a lot of soldiers who are currently in the front lines right now who've left their families, left everything behind, and try and fight in something that they believe in. I know a lot of wives who are at home just trying to keep the fort down with a bunch of young kids as they worry about what happens to their husbands every day. I know a lot of people who've unfortunately were at that music festival, a lot of people our age were at there, and they right. were spent you know years not years but what felt like years just hiding hiding pure terror and so you know, I, I think I just know a lot of people and it really speaks to me and if I think it's important to say something about it yeah so it's personally painful for you very yeah. much yeah. it's the Hillel but is there other other Jewish organizations that are showing up for Israel together do you know like the consortium yeah so I'm not completely familiar with the whole dynamic but from what I've seen um, and spoken to some people who have more of an organizational role, almost all of the Jewish organizations, if not every Jewish organization on campus joined in, whether that's a student-run Hilo organization that provides Jew- Jewish you know, communal infrastructure on campus or specific religious do- denominations among the Jewish community towards uh, fraternities and business clubs and the like. Um, but more or less, we've seen great solidarity and um, unification of uh, all of the Jewish students on campus and that's you know I think reflected in all the organizations that joined today um, when people were discussing you know some sort of um, counter uh, counter uh, rally or demonstration or whatever it is just to provide students on campus with a little bit of nuance from what they've been hearing the past couple days from SJP right. there's really no internal pushback or even you know discussions within the Jewish community that may have seemed at all controversial or even uh, ununifying. Everyone was on the same page. It was okay. important to show support, and that's what's going on today. And um, can you describe a little bit your initial reactions to SJP personally and what you think about the university's response? to? Because they were the first people here on the quad, the first to protest. Um, yeah. Can you describe a little bit about that? Sure. So... I, I didn't have so much exposure or knowledge of SJP really until the past uh, week or so and the dynamic that's unfolded. Um, I, I could say as you know, the, the first time as a Jewish student, the first time I walked into the quad when they first started their um, daily demonstrations you know, until the quote-unquote genocide ends, um, at the first level just felt very you know, just insensitive towards all the human suffering. We, it was the same time at the beginning when they started when over 1,300 Israelis, Muslim civilians, were, were were dead in that past week. And a lot of Jewish people were mourning. Funerals were still being going on. Forensics examination of burnt-up bodies were still taking place. And families were waiting in agony, doing Jewish rituals, which occurred that first two weeks that relate to mourning. Just a, it was a very sensitive time. It still is. But um, I felt to, to sort of say general slogans that we hear right now, such as free, free Palestine, at that time when so much suffering was going on, was to me my first reaction that just whatever larger conversations that JP wants to have, I felt 
at, at a pure optics level, it's just a bad time to do so and really dissensitive. And then on a second issue, on a personal level, I felt a little bit unsafe as a Jew because yeah. I don't I don't think that the, when people hear general general chants and slogans about how many kids Israel chants today, when the Hamas terror organization deliberately tried to kill as many Jewish people as possible and Israel is trying to wage um, you know, a, a war to get rid of all these uh, terrorists and purge them from where the group crept up. Um, but when they, when they chant slogans that seem, that seem very, you know, just in general, just hostile towards, towards Israel and don't draw any sort of distinctions or equivalents. Like, what does that mean towards me as a Jewish person? Right. Do they view me in some sort of way that's supporting a terrorist state? Like, I want to believe that I have a space on campus where we could both go to the same cultural events or the same even political progressive causes um, and feel supported like a part of that Chicago community. And if they really feel that I support you know, a genocidal terrorist country or colonial uh, project, then like, what does that say to me and my, my space on campus? So those were my two first reactions actually and what they're doing. And how do you feel as a Jew on campus in this moment? I mean, it's very unsettling to say the least. Um, you know, I, I, I feel that a lot of the, worldwide the Jewish community is really rallied in support of Israel. The amount of donations and the amount of time and energy and money and personal just investment um, and supplications that people are making as a unified Jewish community it's just been incredible again it transcends all denominations boundaries internal fighting and it's really been amazing to see and then I come to campus and I it's a very lonely feeling to or sad feeling to just realize that people don't don't have that same that same uh, moral basis as you, the same compass, and you see things totally differently, and you really believe in what they believe in. And to me, this issue is just so clear. It's so clear, so morally clear, so obvious where any decent person should be on this side of. And that people don't support that on campus. It's like, yeah, that's very disheartening that my entire Jewish community feels one way, and my university is at the very least giving nuanced messages. Um, SJP certainly stands in a diametrically opposed position, and that just, you know, is a very unsettling feeling in terms of my communal space within the larger university. And do you see a way um, forward to have dialogue with SJP? Does this change your opinion about having a dialogue, what you thought before about the issue? Um, yeah, it's a, it's a great question and it's an important question. I, I'm not really sure, meaning um, I think it depends how long how long they'll continue to chant chants like this. Um, but at the very least, I, I think it's very hard to say that the organizers of SJP have any good faith and there's really any point in engaging in certain dialogue with them. After one, I think after their first day, um, where they came out on the quad, I did speak to some of them afterwards. Some of the people were onlookers who were sort of you know, interested and wanted to learn more about the topic and I felt that that was very fruitful and we were able to come to some common ground even though we didn't really uh, see things the way I did but that's okay and that's important. And they um, were participating in the SJP protest and to, you... To some degree, meaning I think these people that I'm describing they were sort of curious who walked by and, yeah. and certain professors and speakers made you know, seemingly very uh, you know, anti-Israel points look very you know, just objectively clear as if that's the correct way to view the situation. And when I was able to speak to them a little bit more, we were able to come to some good, uh, you know, understanding or middle ground, whatever you like to call it. Um, but then I spoke to some of the leaders of these people um, of SJP, and I thought that that was really disheartening. And okay. it's really uh, sad that, you know, at, again, at the very worst, I think they're incredibly insensitive towards human suffering. Sorry, at the very best, but at the very worst, I think it's just pure blatant anti-Semitism, and we're watching the mainstream of it right here in the quad right now. And you walked through the SJP protest with the flag of Israel wrapped around you. But the reason I did so was just to you know make a little bit of a, a statement that you know no one's going to be intimidated here. Obviously, they have the right to say whatever they want. We hopefully should have the right to be able to say whatever we want and use the quad in a, a appropriate manner to do so. But to, to sort of occupy the quad every day until this ends, and even right now to sort of not let the the Israel I don't know, um, rally or vigil, whatever you would call this. Um, you know, have their space and say like we're just going to camp out on the quad and going to scream these messages that 
respectfully or not, but we're just going to broadcast these messages to all onlookers for an infinite period of time until the quote-unquote genocide ends. I felt that that was just a little bit too much and that we're not going to back down. And so I felt it was just like an easy way to just signal that we're not going anywhere. The Jewish people will continue to fight this perennial fight against anti-Semitism. You know, a bunch of little college kids say you Chicago aren't going to stop us. And, um, and we're here to stay. And I'm also curious about who was present. So we talked about bystanders. Mm-hmm. Did any bystand? Did you notice any bystanders like partaking in the chants, or was it mostly contained to, or um, people who were affiliated with the each of the groups? Um, I think that. I think that both uh, groups, and just also another clarification is that, um, these protests were made up not of two opposing groups. Each side is kind of a coalition of many other groups um, that are kind of working in tandem. And we say SJP, but it's also important to note that um, a lot of the people who are organizing and then present at a lot of these protests are affiliated with um, EJTF or Care Not Cops um, and some other campus organizations, including non-campus organizations. And then the same, of course, goes for that um, the pro-Israel side. That was a, a combination of a lot of organizations, including some Jewish faith organizations like Hillel and Chabad, as well as Maroons for Israel. And I, there, there are others. But so anyways, um, fundamentally, the protest is both sides of the protest were um, composed of coalitions. And I think that that drew a lot of people who aren't necessarily, say, affiliated with Maroons for Israel or SJP to kind of join in because they saw their friend who does organizing with Care Not Cops or who goes, you know, is a very active member of Hillel and kind of joined in. Uh, it was definitely the one of the biggest gatherings of people that I've seen in this issue um, over the past few weeks. So it was drawing a lot of people who aren't necessarily out there tabling on the quad every single day. Um, you know, I did see some people who were looking like they were going, you know, busy Chicago students going about their days and then taking like five or 10 minutes to join in on any kind of given side of the protest before heading off again. Definitely saw some of that. Um, and then, of course, there were people who I would classify more as just like a typical bystander in the sense that they they were watching, they weren't joining in on chants, holding posters, um, just kind of taking it in because it definitely was a dominating campus that day. It was impossible not to hear or see um, the protest if you were anywhere near the main quad. So, um, yeah, there was a good amount of people just kind of watching both from students and I would say professors, staff, um, even some community members. Yeah.
Yeah, so I guess like um, my first question is like, uh, what brought you here? Um, You're involved with SJP. I'm involved with SJP. I've been involved with SJP. Um, I think it's there's multiple things. It's my responsibility as a U.S. citizen to make sure that U.S. foreign policy that's being done in my name accords with basic human, uh, human rights law, basic international law, and also uh, is is uh, is respectful of the dignity of the people who of whom I'm descended from. I'm Iranian, but the United States foreign policy towards Israel and Palestine has always shaped its relations with Iran as well, uh, with regards to the nuclear program, with regards to sanctions, with regard, and it's not just Iran, it's also Lebanon, it's also Saudi Arabia, uh, it's also uh, Egypt, Jordan, all of these countries, the United States and Israel establish uh, pacts together, military pacts, that basically facilitate economic relations and maintain dictatorships that are convenient to the U.S. imperialists. So, yeah. What, um, what do you hope to accomplish? Like, by organizing, by coming out to Quad today? What do I hope to accomplish? I mean, the main demand is that the university first provides a full transparent audit of all of its investments and relations with Israel. And we know that it is invested in multiple ways. We know that it has relations with the Israel Institute, which is an institution, an academic, it's a supposedly charitable institution, but it's actually a politicized institution that was used to host an Israeli general to teach a class last year. We know that the university names its school buildings after people like the Crown family, who make their money from selling uh, weapons to the Israeli army. We know that the university hosts study abroad trips to Israel that are inherently discriminatory because they don't take into account the apartheid conditions that make it impossible for Palestinian Americans, but also Palestinians in general, to receive equal treatment on such trips. So we know there are already some ways that the university needs to answer for and adjust its policy, but we want a full, transparent accounting of its investments and relations. No, we don't. Um, and we demand that, as the American Anthropological Association has already done, the Middle Eastern Studies Association has already done, as Palestinian civil society has been asking for since 2000, the early 2000s, that the university comply with academic and cultural boycott of Israel until it uh, complies with international law and ends its apartheid. And what's been the response from the university so far? The administration hasn't responded, which is usually their strategy. Uh, they sent deans on calls and some police to like watch, but that's it. Have you um, like talked to any university officials? Like reached out? We've demanded tomorrow that Paul Alivisatos, Michelle Rasmussen, I, I might be mispronouncing their names, Nick Siemens, and um, there's one other administrator come to a press conference on our global strike day tomorrow uh, and answer to this, the, the, when you ask me what I hope to achieve, they answer to the specific demands that we laid out. Uh, and we've asked that they come. And they haven't responded? No. Have they been, like, in general supportive or, like, inhibitive in any way for your protests? Uh, no. Typically, the university, uh, like, this is with all, so like, things you could consider political in some way or what it itself considers political, um, cites the Calvin Report and tries to present neutral neutrality. So we saw that the university released a statement about Israel and Gaza without naming Palestine, but said that they're sorry for the tragic loss of life for everybody and hope that everybody can grieve and so on and so on. But this is inadequate because the university is does take a political stance by way of its investments and by way of its relationships with Israeli military institutions. So. Uh, its strategy of neutrality is that's a strategy but it needs to be called out it, it, the university considers divestment to be political but investment to not be political which is absurd both investment and divestment are political and what about the student response have you observed like people have been a lot of support for the cause have you observed hostility um, yeah 
Yeah, there are student, there are many students who are supporting. Um, we have multiple students, student activist organizations in our coalition, both from on and off campus. There's Behind Enemy Lines, an anti-imperialist organization off campus. There's U Chicago Against Displacement, which focuses on gentrification, university's gentrification of the South Side. There's Care Now Cops, which focuses on police abolition, particularly of the University of Chicago Police Department. Um, there's Stand with Kashmir, who gave a speech uh, on the first day that we did the quad uh, uh, occupation. Um, there are others. There's the Party for Socialism and Liberation. Many faculty have given speeches. So uh, Iman Abdul Hadi gave a speech. Kali Madoff gave a speech. Um, uh, Naama Rokem gave a speech. Uh, there are probably some others that I'm forgetting, but these are Jewish, Palestinian, and um, non-Jewish or Palestinian faculty who've spoken. And we also know that the letter, the open letter that's going around the university community, I think by now has reached over 600 signatures calling on exactly what I mentioned our demands are. Can you talk about that, the open letter? Yeah, I mean, I think people should read it, but. What, what does it say? I don't think I can summarize it like off the top of my head. Okay. Basically it says that the that killing of civilians whether Palestinian or Jewish is uh, wrong, it's a crime, it should be briefed, but the fundamental violence, the fundamental contradiction at play is the Israeli regime of settler colonialism and apartheid that's existed for over 75 years, and that the university needs to end its complicity. One last question. Um, if you could give a message to the counter-protesters, um, what would you say to them? Uh, Palestinian liberation is for everybody. Uh, it's not... Uh, it's not in anybody's favor to maintain an apartheid regime uh, and apartheid never will uh, last it's historically been shown that it will never last and I think that the denial of objective standards by which we can make claims like apartheid colonialism makes a conversation impossible the denial of terms like military occupation all these terms military occupation colonialism uh, apartheid have objective recognized definitions and have been acknowledged by Amnesty International, Human Rights Watch, B'Tselem, the Israeli human rights or, uh, organization. And uh, completely refusing them puts you in a position of open criminality and uh, forces you to legitimize yourself with violence and not with the truth. And that will never be a strategy that lasts. And where, where have you observed like, um, like the, the rejection of these terms? Like You've seen it here. Like. Yeah, I spoke with the rabbi uh, Yossi Brockman, I believe his name was, and we discussed this that the that we couldn't agree whether the West Bank was under military occupation, which there is international consensus that the West Bank is under military occupation. It's just a basic fact. Uh, we couldn't agree on whether the Palestinians were a people. Uh, we couldn't agree on whether the Israeli army withdrew in 2005, the uh, army and settlers withdrew in 2005, which according to international law, Gaza remained under blockade, siege, and occupation because Israel maintained effective control of its airspace, land, water crossings. Um, and so these are objective realities that in order for us to have any kind of discussion about policy or any other framing, we have to agree on these definitions. But if we can't, then only the language of force is what can prevail. And I think that's that's what Israel has openly declared itself as, it's openly shown itself to be fascist. And uh, the leading politicians have uh, committed themselves to genocide and ethnic cleansing. They've called for a second Nakba, they've called for death for Arabs, they've called them human animals, and they've put themselves in a position of open criminality where only force justifies what they can do. They don't care about international law anymore. And so I think that needs to change. Is, that, is doxing like something that SJP is worried about? Definitely. Um, have you guys seen it? Yes. It's a, it's, a it's, a, it's a global thing. Palestinians and Israeli, first and foremost, the people who are suppressed are Palestinians in Palestinian and Israeli univers universities. Palestinian students in the West Bank before October 7th had been subjected to a, an Israeli military raid and eight students were abducted and their, their student council dorms were trashed. That's part of one of the campaigns we were working on. Israeli uh, universities like University of Haifa, University of Tel Aviv have been expelling and suspending students for anything on social media that they construe as support for terrorism or incitement, which is a very expansive, broad definition that doesn't accord with anything like interna international uh, uh, like international protection of free speech or, or academic freedom. So, uh, and in the U.S. it's the same. In the U.S. there's a systematic effort to criminalize and suppress uh, people who's, who call for the boycott, divestment, and sanctions movement, including by 
institutions affiliated with the Israel Institute, which I mentioned before. And this is this is widespread. It's it's unknown. Everybody who enters into Palestine organizing, whether Palestinian or not, knows about this, and they know it's a threat. Thanks so much for your time. And I'm curious, since the rally, if you've noticed if or emotions around the issue have changed at all, for better or worse? Within the context of student activism? Yeah. Um, I do still kind of read this rally as the one of, or probably the peak of kind of the emotional intensity of this issue on campus. Um, there have been other actions, like for example, um, uh, on November 9th, when we're speaking right now, um, there was an installation on the quad that I don't know the exact group who was doing it, but it was um, an installation raising awareness about Israeli hostages who were taken during the October 7th attacks. Uh, meanwhile, um, SJP had uh, students sitting in on Rosenwald in, in Rosenwald Hall today. Um, so, you know, the, the activism is very, very much ongoing. I think that both sides want to make it very clear that this is much more of a marathon than a sprint for them. SJP has not rescinded or backed down from its um, you know, from its goal to be on the quad every single day. Um, and yes, I do think that like sometimes it feels a little quieter on campus than it did that day when it was very loud, very visual, um, very easy to, to see that this was an issue going on. But I, I do think that the kind of emotional intensity that many students are feeling is definitely still there and that actions are still very, very much ongoing. Um, and I think there's a lot of fuel on the fire for both kind of, for all of these organizations right now. There's a lot of action happening, not just at UChicago, but at other universities. Um, it feels like a period of really ongoing student activism intensity in this issue and others right now. your name? My name is Rabbi Yossi Brackman. And your affiliation to the university? I run the Chabad Jewish Center on campus. Amazing. And why have you come out today? I've come out today to support students who are grieving and, um, and feel violated and mourning the massacre of Jews in Israel. Uh, and what does it mean to you to be pro-Israel here on campus? Um, I think that every... It means a few things. 
um, I think that every person who has studied history knows that the Jewish people are indigenous to the land of Israel um, and have never left Israel, even though they were driven out, but have always maintained a presence there, have prayed three times a day to return there. It's never left their consciousness. And we've always considered it the homeland of the Jewish people. Um, so we support the right of Jews to live peacefully in Israel. And we support the right of the Jewish people to, um, to their homeland. And as a rabbi here on campus, how have you been supporting Jewish students during this time? So many of our students um, may have relatives in Israel or and certainly have been to Israel. But more importantly, the Jewish people are not just the people of faith. The Jewish people are considered each other to be part of one family, one people, and even though we may be continents apart. And Jewish people all over the world are grieving the tragic loss of life, and more importantly, the brutality, the inhumane brutality of a massacre to shoot babies and kidnap and rape women. Um, regardless of their, you know, political leanings or even their ethnicity, to be honest. I mean, there were, there were non-Jews that were killed because they were just, they were instructed to just kill as many people as possible. And the brutality of that really hurts. Yeah. Um, wow. And then, you know, also, you know, if you could share one message with the counter-protesters, um, what would that be? Or if you could share a message with SJP, what would that be? That there, uh, unfortunately, the use of rhetoric and extreme language um, using language like genocide, which is blatantly false, um, given the fact that the Arab population in Israel and in the West Bank is thriving, albeit may not be an easy one, especially in the West Bank, but um, using such rhetoric like river to the sea, which is taken from the PLO's desire to completely eliminate Jews from the state of Israel does not enable any opportunity for dialogue. And those kind of, that kind of rhetoric really indicates that there's no desire for dialogue and uh, probably no desire for peace. And I find that very upsetting. Thank you. I appreciate your time. You're very welcome. One last question. Is there something that you as a student, as a journalist, learned from that rally in particular? I mean, there's a lot that I that I learned, I would say. Um, as a journalist, um, I'm constantly thinking about how to kind of give the best faith representation of viewpoints when I'm writing. That was something that I was trying to do very intensely on that the day of this specific rally. Um, you know, I want to represent people in the best possible light and to, um, if I'm going to quote someone, I don't, you know, ideally I don't want just one quote to kind of be rep read as representing the perspective of all Jewish students or all pro-Israel students. That is, I think, very unethical. Um, so I, at that rally and kind of just throughout this entire time, I've been thinking a lot about how the media plays a, a very important role when covering conflicts, even if, um, even though I'm obviously not covering the ongoing bombing and aftermath of October 7th, as it is, I'm still covering how students in the U.S. are responding to that, and I do feel like I that is a responsibility that is is like heavy and very important 
that I do it ethically and think a lot about it. So I've been having a lot of conversations and I had a lot of conversations on that day and around it um, about how I was doing and was I, you know, making making mistakes and how, you know, can I back up everything that I'm quoting and saying and make sure that it's not only factual but also ethical. Um, I, you know, I there was a student who I spoke to who was really concerned and rightfully so about his identity getting out in any way. Um, and I, you know, if I quoted him and you know, it, it, he was concerned about speaking to me. He had no way really of necessarily verifying that I actually was a reporter. And that was definitely a moment, uh, an eye-opening moment for me where I realized that um, I have a lot of responsibility to conduct myself in a neutral way and in a way that explicitly designates me as I'm here in the capacity of a journalist. Um, I'm going to use your information ethically and with your consent, um, and I'm not going to poorly misrepresent you. So, you know, that's not just one lesson, obviously, but those are a lot of takeaways about my role in all of this and the media's role more broadly.